I'm excited to jump back into our series called Uncommon Culture. Uh, before I do, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, uh, my name's Matt Darby. I get to be the pastor here for our Gilmer campus, and I am really, really excited uh, that you're here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for uh, just turning in. It's a big deal for us that, especially if you're a guest with us, uh, that you would come and worship. So thank you for being here. And you've caught us in the second week of this series called Uncommon Culture. And here's what we're doing. We're working our way through the values that the core values God has given us here at New Beginnings that help create the culture of who we are, right? Every place you go in society, in your work, there are certain values that are held that create the culture of that place where we have what, what we believe is an uncommon culture here, and that culture is created by the kingdom values God has given us, and those values are leading us to live in such a way that we have a kingdom impact in the world around us. So these are the values that set our priorities. These are the values that um, shape who we are, that dictate how we live, that govern what we do. That's the core values we're running after. And we begin with the, last, the first one, excuse me, last week, called The Bible is True. I'm going to put all four of them up for you. Here are the core values at New Beginnings, that the Bible is true. Every believer is called. That's where we'll be today. Every person is valuable. And God's presence is essential. And if you're, if you're a guest with us, you're thinking, those aren't unique to you. Lots of people believe that. Right. But these hold a, a unique place of importance for us. And they're shaping who we are. And so we are working our way through these values. Today, we're looking at the second value, which is every believer is called. Every believer is called. Um, so I want you to grab your Bible, head to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at a story of a very unlikely guy who was called out by God um, to be on mission. While you're turning there, I want to ask you, how many of you like me, This will, it might date you a little bit, but that's okay, the older I get, the cooler old looks. Um, <laughs> it just looks cool now, Richard, you know what I mean? Now it's awesome. I'm like, man, I'm doing okay. I look good, I'm acting all right, right? So... <laughs> All right, so how many of you, part of your childhood was getting dropped off at the roller skating rink and just left by your parents, right? Right? Now, I know that, that roller rinks still exist, but back in the day, they were just different, right? Um, here, let me describe what it was growing up for me. Roller skating rink was like a nightclub for 13-year-olds. That's what it was, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> just a bunch of adolescents unsupervised on wheels. That's what it was. And it was, um, it was awesome. It was, this is a fantastic, <laughs> it's a fantastic good time. Um, right. Uh, you had the, you had the disco ball hanging up in the middle, all the lights on the wooden floor. They played the best music. By the way, did you know right now you can go to Spotify and there are roller skating rink playlists that are put together for you? That will absolutely minister to your heart, I tell you. They're so good. It's the best music, right? So the DJ was always playing incredible music. Uh, weird smells at the roller rink. Don't know why. Just some stuff in there didn't smell right. And um, lots of awkward moments, by the way. Because there was always this moment where the DJ would come on and say something like, time to couple skate. And when he would say that, the awkward began, right? Oh, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? do I, I think I'll just dance with this handrail. It's me and you, handrail. We're just going to, we're going to try not to die, right? But there was also a moment, depending on how long you were there, 
where there was something called an all skate. Remember that? There's a moment where the DJ came on and would say, all right, everybody on the floor, this is an all skate, right? We're about to do this. And um, I bet you, I, I bet you right now that if I were to play uh, You're the Inspiration by Peter Cetera, some of you would start roller skating backwards right now. You'd be like, you're the inspiration, right? But there's an all skate, that's, right? And here's the all skate. Everybody on the floor, um, nobody sits out. We're all in this together. We're going to do this together. Well, when we say every believer is called, every believer is called, here's what we mean. The mission of God is an all skate. It's an all skate. Nobody sits out. Nobody's just an observer. We're all in this together. That's what we mean. Every believer is called. And what I hope that you see today is how God has put a calling on your life. If you're in Christ, he has put a calling on your life to advance his mission. That's what we're going to see today. We're going to start in Mark chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the story of the demon-possessed man that Jesus set free. Before we read the first word, Let's affirm our first core value together that the Bible is true. Say that with me. The Bible is true. Amen. Amen. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. This country, by the way, it was, uh, was a, a part, the Gerasenes was part of a, a greater region called the Decapolis. It was one of like 10 cities in this area. Um, very few Jews lived in this area. Uh, it was considered a pagan place, unclean was under Roman rule. Um, they worshipped uh, Greek gods here. So they come to the country of the Gerasenes, verse 2, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So this is a demon-possessed man. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. So there is a supernatural thing in his body right now. I don't mean supernatural in a good way. I mean he's got a supernatural strength where even chains can't bind him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So now you see there's this, there's this turmoil. There's this uh, physical and mental torment that he is enduring. Verse 6, and when Jesus, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what, have you have, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For, he was, for Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillsides, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, 
and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray for a moment. God, I pray you would illuminate your word into our hearts. That you would help us wake up to the truth that you want us to have. I pray over us collectively, God, that you would give us ears to hear. I pray over my own heart, my own mouth, my own mind, that you would protect me, that you would fill me, that you would speak so clearly to your people. So, Lord God, we say right now, your words are the most important words, so we ask that we would hear them today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a pretty incredible story, right? What we're going to see is, is three things that we see that are true about Jesus here, but that's going to lead us to three things that are true about us. And these three things that we're going to say that we see as true for Jesus are going to be three things that shape our call and how we walk out the calling God has put on our life. Because what we see Jesus doing here is calling just an unlikely man to be a kingdom-building, disciple-making believer. So what does Jesus do? What do we want to know about Christ that shapes our call? Here's the first thing. It's the first truth about Jesus we see here. And listen, it's very, very simple, but it is absolutely profound to walking out our calling, and that is this. Jesus came for everyone. He came for everyone. In verse 1, again, it says, Jesus came to the other side of the sea, and right there in the country of the Gerasenes, he stopped, he, got, he stepped out of the boat. Immediately a man out of the tombs ran up, had an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. As far as we see in God's word, Jesus went to this area in this moment to the city of, of the Gerasenes to do one thing, to set this man free. He got out of the boat. He set him free. He got back into the boat, went back across. He went to the city to do one thing, to set this man free. If you read this account in Matthew, Matthew describes as there's two people that Jesus set free. Mark really just presses into to one of them here. But Jesus goes to this area where most Jews wouldn't go because it was a pagan place. It was considered unclean. And he goes to the darkest part of this region, which is the tombs. The reason this man was there was because at the tombs it was believed that evil spirits resided there. Jesus goes to the darkest part of this dark region all to encounter a man, listen, who was as unclean and as far from God as possible. He was as unclean and as far from God as possible. So why does Jesus go there? Because Jesus came for everyone. He came for everyone. Jesus goes out of his way 
to encounter this man who is violent, who is obviously disturbed, who is alone, who is discarded, who is unwanted, and the people are afraid of him. They consider him too far gone, and yet Jesus makes a trip to this place for this man. And listen to me, if we're going to understand the gospel, if we're going to understand the calling that the gospel puts on our lives, we have to understand Jesus came for everyone, including the person in your life right now you are confident will never come to faith. They're too arrogant, they're too proud, they're too lost, they're too addicted, they're just too angry, whatever it is, even for that person, Jesus came and died. It means no one's too far gone. No one. No one is too unclean. No one is too disturbed, too outcast, too violent, too addicted, too broken, too angry, too proud, or too lost. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus because he came for everyone. Now, why does that speak to your calling? Because everybody, every believer in this room knows what it feels like to know you're called to share the gospel with someone, but there's a fear in your heart because they're angry or they're too broken or you know they're addicted. You know they're going to reject God. They're angry toward God, angry toward you. And so we just kind of push them aside. Am I only talking to me? Maybe I am, right? But Jesus came for everyone. Came for everyone. Here's the second thing I think we see is this. Jesus can break every chain. He can break every chain. Including the ones wrapped around those people you are confident will never come and trust Jesus as Lord. He can break their chains too. Look at the end of verse 3. It says, no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he would often be bound with shackles and chains, but he would wrench the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. So they would chain this guy up and probably not out of meanness. It was probably out of protection for them and protection for himself. They would chain him up with shackles, but nothing worked. Why? Because they were bringing a physical solution to a spiritual condition. And that never works. They were bringing a physical solution to a spiritual condition. And some of you this morning are doing that very thing. There are very real spiritual conditions that you have. You feel it. Right? Disbelief. Despair. Anxiety maybe battling addiction, a lack of desire to even follow God or know God. Very real spiritual condition. And the only thing you're bringing to that spiritual condition is the best reasoning your mind can create and your willpower hoping it will be enough. Physical solutions don't solve spiritual problems. Amen. But Jesus does. Jesus understood the true spiritual bondage that this man was in. He understood it. And it was significant. If you look at verse 9, when Jesus says, what is your name? What does it say? It said, my name is Legion. For we, there's more than one unclean spirit in this guy. 
We are many. A legion is a unit of the Roman military that numbered five to 6,000 men. That's what a legion was. We don't have proof that there were five or 6,000 unclean spirits in this man, but we know there were many of them. Can I tell you something? The number of de demons didn't matter to Jesus. The power of those demons, irrelevant to Jesus. Why? Because there's no spiritual power and no evil oppression in anyone's life that Jesus is not greater than. There is no spiritual power and no evil oppression in anyone's life that Jesus is not greater than. There is no chain Satan can put on that Jesus cannot break through. There is no bondage you can know you have that Jesus is not stronger than and cannot set you free from it. And I want you to feel that this morning. Because we have a tendency to believe that's true for everybody else and we'll even tell them. But there's those one or two areas of our life that we just can't seem to believe it's true. Yes, he can break every chain, but I just, I can't stop doing this. Right? But there is no bondage Satan can put on you that Jesus cannot break through. And these demons knew it. They knew it. Look at verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, who told that man who Jesus... They've never met. How does this man know who Jesus is? Because even demons know who Jesus is. And demons acknowledge who he is. You are the Son of the Most High God. Even the, the, the eternal fallen People, uh, uh, demons that will spend eternity in hell where God is preparing that place, even they know who Christ is. And they cried out, you're the son of the most high God. And they said, we adjure you by God, do not torment me. For what Jesus was saying was, come out of that man, you unclean spirit. As soon as Jesus got near, the man and the demons, they ran up, bowed before Christ, they began to declare who Jesus was, you're the son of the most high God. Why? Because even the demons knew who held the greater power in this moment. Even they knew who was greater. Christ alone can set us free. Christ alone can break every chain that bind us, binds us. So listen to me. Whether it is a demonic influence, whether it is a substance addiction, whether it is guilt from your past, whether it is religious bondage, whether, whether it is crippling doubt, whether it is hurts done to you, Jesus can break every chain. And there is no one too far gone that Jesus can't reach them. And no one in so much bondage, Jesus cannot free them. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus can break every chain. Here's the third thing. Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. Look at verse 14 again. It says, The herdsmen fled and 
the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, but they saw something different. Now he's sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid. What they saw in this moment was the absolute spiritual transformation that changed everything about this guy. It changed everything about him. Who was he before Jesus? He was out of his mind. He was running naked. He had to be restrained. He was cutting himself. He was yelling out. Who is he after Jesus? He's not running. He's sitting. He's no longer naked. He's clothed. He's no longer crying out and cutting himself. He's calm and he's sitting in his right mind. There is a complete gospel transformation that happens. But listen, gospel transformation is the evidence of an encounter with Jesus. That's the evidence of an encounter with Christ. It's why every time you hear me say almost every Sunday, has there been a moment when Jesus changed your life? Because the church is filled with people who are doing their best to be good and they don't have a story of transformation. And without a moment of transformation where you were one thing, then you met Christ and everything changed. Without that moment, you will spend eternity separated from God. Transformation is the evidence of an encounter with Christ. I am new. When, when the Bible describes what happens in Christ, it describes it in language of new. New life, new creation, old is gone, new has come, new heart, new nature, new desires, new passions. Has that happened for you? It's why every time when we baptize someone, there's really three kind of elements to the story that you'll hear us tell. We always want to tell a part of their story. And the story is always who they were before Christ, how they met Jesus, and how their life has changed since then. And your, your church attendance is not what I'm asking for when I have said, when I say, has there been a moment where Jesus has changed your life? Well, I was in life group. But has Jesus changed your life? Man, I serve in kids' ministry. Has Jesus changed your life? Man, I'm out there sweating in the parking lot, parking these cars every Sunday. Has Jesus changed? I went on a mission trip last year. I give money. I give, I am faithful. I'm generous. I bring my kids. I bring my grandkids. We're here every has Jesus changed your life? The answer to that is all that matters. That's all that matters. Everything you do out of that is an evidence of that. But it starts there. So there's this moment where this transformation happens in this guy's life. And the transformation that they see is the evidence that the gospel, has, that Jesus has changed him, right? They don't even recognize that. They don't even recognize this dude anymore. They were afraid. Verse 18 says they were afraid. They began to beg Jesus to leave. And notice the transformation in this man. Verse 18. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. <laughs> that is the same dude that just a few minutes ago 
ran up to Jesus and begged him to depart, leave me alone, don't mess with me, don't touch me, don't do anything for me, just leave me alone. And now he's saying, I, please, please let me get in that boat and go where you go. Why? Because suddenly there's a new thing going on in his life. He's experienced something new. Now all of a sudden, he wants to, to go be with Jesus. He wants to go where he goes. He wants to do the work of Jesus. Why? Somehow he knew the transformation he had experienced produced a calling that he had to go walk out. He just knew it. Because Jesus changes everything. Changes everything. Look at verse 19. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that, that ten city region, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So let's hold this for just a moment. Jesus said, I want you to go and tell people what, what the Lord has done for you. And he went and told them what Jesus had done for him. Even in this moment, this man realized Jesus is God. You said, tell them what the Lord did. I know the name of the Lord. His name is Jesus. Right? Jesus came for everyone. Jesus can break every chain. Jesus changes everything. When we, take, when we take those three realities and we begin to let them shape the call that God has put on us, it absolutely points us, it transforms us, it prioritizes us, it does everything. Here's the three truths I want you to know now about us. Those are three about Christ from the story. Here are three that are true about us. Here's the first one. You have a calling. Believer, you have a calling. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a calling. Those of you who didn't say anything, look at your neighbor now and say, you have a calling. I see you going, I don't think I'm going to do it. Yeah, I need you to do it. <laughs> you have a calling. Immediately, there is this desire to go with Jesus, to go where he's going, do the work that he's doing. Before, there was no direction. Before, there was no joy, no godly desires. Nothing in him wanted to please the Lord. Suddenly now, this man has a passion to go do the work of Christ. Why? Because those who have been transformed receive a calling to live a life of transformation that lets other people see it, and now those people get transformed. Every believer has a calling. You have a calling. And this guy just knew it <laughs> immediately. It was his new desire. He didn't have that before. But this moment of transformation, this isn't unique in the New Testament. Think about the disciples. Jesus looks at these guys, faithful Jewish men. What does he say to them? Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What do they do? Boat gets left. Nets get left. Fishing rod gets left. Dad gets left. And they go. There you go. There is an immediate response to a call. Think about the woman at the well. Remember her story? This lady was outcast. 
alone, had a horrible reputation. Nobody wanted to be around her. Jesus intersects her life. She's born again. He gives her a new heart. What's the first thing she does? She runs back into the very town of people that had rejected her and ridiculed her and excluded her, and she begins to say, you got to come see a man who knows everything about me. Why? Transformation led to walking in a calling. She walked in a calling. Think about, think about the Apostle Paul. He may be the best example in the whole Bible. This man was violent toward the church. He would go petition Roman leaders and the temple leaders, the religious leaders, to give him paper that would be signed that would allow him to go and torment believers. This is the man who wanted to hold the coats of those who were stoning Stephen to death. I'll hold your coats. Y'all throw rocks. I want to watch him die. Put your, but I'll hold your coats. That way you're, I got it. That's this man. But he meets Jesus and what happens? He immediately begins to preach the gospel and he does it until the day it cost him his life. Because you have a calling. You have a calling. And you go, well, where's my calling? How do I know how to walk in it? Paul was a preacher. But what am I? What, what do I do? I want to help you. I want you to think about your calling in three words. I want you to think about it in the words passion, ability, and story. I want you to think about it in those three words. All right? Passion, ability, story. Think about that first word, passion. If you had to answer the question, what are you really passionate about? What would come to mind? What are you passionate? What fires you up? What do you love to talk about? What drives you? What motivates you? What occupies a lot of your thinking? What's something you give your money and your time to? What you're willing to do on your own time and on your own dime is going to tell you where your passions are. Right? Maybe it's investing in people. Maybe it's being hospitable. Maybe you just love to create hospitable environments where people feel loved, seen, included, and accepted. Maybe you have a passion to teach. Maybe you have a passion to disciple young people. Maybe you have a passion to go back there and kids may. You just love it. You love when you see the gospel light come on in a kid's heart. My buddy Mike Miller, Miller who was in the 8 o'clock service, a few years ago, for the very first time, he went on a mission trip to the Amazon, and something happened to him when he was there. When he was there, God turned something on in his heart that was not there before. And it was a specific calling to those people, that specific place and those people. And he has gone back every year, and every time we go, he's going to go. Why? Because God has given him a specific, a passion was ignited out of a moment of Obedience. I've seen people who have survived cancer and suddenly they have a passion for cancer patients. I've seen people who have been delivered from addiction. All of a sudden they got this passion to see other people set free and walk free. I've seen people who have experienced abuse and trauma in their life and then just have this passion to love people who have experienced abuse and trauma. You have a calling. That calling is going to partly be discovered by what you're passionate about. Now you may be saying, okay, I, but I don't know. How do, how do I discover 
what I should be passionate about. I'm going to give you two steps. Very simple. One, hit your knees. Two, plug into your church. Just real simple. If I ask where do you spend your time and your money, and your answer has more to do with something that has nothing to do with God, it might very well be that you need God to begin to shape some new passions in your heart. Amen? If you don't know what you're passionate about, you don't know how to be passionate, you don't know what God's calling you to do, it begins on your knees. God, what have you given me? What should I do? What, what, where should I be passionate? And then I would tell you this. The next step is plug into your church. Plug into your church. You want to find somewhere? You, you would be shocked at the number of times I have watched the light of passion come on in people's heart when they were just willing to step out and start giving themselves away somewhere. Where are your passions? Here's the next word. Your abilities. Your abilities. There are unique giftings that God has given you. These are areas of strength, natural talents, just, just areas of gifting that God has put in you. What are those? What are the things you're good at? What are the things you enjoy doing? This man had to have some kind of giftings because the Bible says when he went and started telling, he was capable of telling his story and he had the ability to articulate his story and people heard it and marveled at it. Right? What are your abilities? Here's the third word. Story. You have a story that we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Of what God has done in you. Right? This is the story of what God has done in your life. And every believer has a story. And every believer should know their story. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, we have to be ready all the time, no matter where we are and what we're doing, all the time to be able to give an account for the hope and the love and the joy of Christ that is alive in us. So where your passions, where your abilities, and where your story intersect, that is your specific calling. And if you do not, if you just feel as lost as a goose trying to find that, it is our joy to walk with people and help you discover your passion, your ability, and hear your story. All right. You have a calling. You have a calling. Here's the next thing we learn about ourselves. I just mentioned it. You have a story. You have a story. I want you to know this guy, this demon-possessed man, he had never been to seminary even one time, right? Super unimpressive. His educational uh, journey, super unimpressive. Never been to seminary once. Wasn't a called minister, wasn't a called pastor, wasn't a called missionary, none of that. Didn't know what it meant to be an evangelist. All he had in his possession is what Christ had done for him. And Jesus said, okay, with that story, now go tell your friends, go tell your family, go. All I got's the story, Jesus. I don't know everything about God. You don't have to. All you got to know is what I just did for you. Go tell them. That's it. That's all you got to have. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a story. Look what happened in verse 20. It says, and he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. For some of you, God intersected, Jesus intersected your life when you were a little kiddo. 
For some of you, it was much later in your life. For some of you, Jesus may have entered your life in the last week. When you met Jesus is not the point. How you met him, what brought you to him, and what he has done in you, that's the point. And if you're a believer, you have that story. But there are some in here, and you do not have a story. And you know it. You know you do not have a story. You hear me ask all the time, almost week in and week out, when was the moment Jesus changed your life? And you go, man, I've been good all my life. I'm all, I've always been a good person, and I was raised in church. Great. When did Jesus change you? When were you born again? When did you get that new heart? Remember, he changes everything. Changes everything. And if you do not have a story of life change because of Christ, today Jesus wants to write that story. He wants to write your story today. It's actually why you're here. Amen? Have you met him? Have you been born again? Every believer has a story. So you have a calling, you have a story. Here's the last thing I want you to see. You have a platform. You have a platform, right? God has given every single one of us who are believers a platform that is unique to us to advance the mission of God in our everyday life. This is the place where God has placed you for producing spiritual fruit and building the kingdom. We call it your kingdom platform. Your kingdom. Well, what is that? A kingdom platform is a person's place of maximum kingdom impact. Every believer has a kingdom platform. It's why when we were writing our new mission statement a few years ago, that we wanted to be people connecting people to Jesus and His ever-restoring life, we had to go, but where's the platform we're going to do that? And where is it? Where we live, where we work, where we play. So there's no area of my life that I get to clock out and stop being a kingdom builder and a disciple maker. Why? Because Jesus has called me and I have a story and I have a platform so that my neighborhood where I live is not where I ended up. It's where God placed me. The job that I go to is not what I have to do. It's what I get to do to build the kingdom. The teams my kids play on is not happenstance. There is something God wants me to do in this circle of influence right here. You have a kingdom platform. Where you live is your platform. Where you work is your platform. Where you play is your platform. Think about what God told this guy. He says, I want you to go and tell your friends. Go let the people closest to you know what God's done for you, what the Lord's done. And it says that he, he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, right? He, wasn't, he didn't know people in all 10 of those cities. He was from one area. And yet he went to the Decapolis, right? So not only did he go to his friends and family, but he recognized, I have a larger platform. And he began to see and leverage that whole 10-city region as his mission field. And I'm going to show you in just a minute how God showed up and did something awesome in that. But it's amazing what God did through this one man who recognized his calling, knew his story, and embraced his kingdom platform. Now I want you to remember 
how people felt about Jesus after they saw this, right? It says those herdsmen went into town. They tell the people what they, saw, uh, what they just saw Jesus do. The people come out to see for themselves. And when, the, when they see the guy they knew, but he's no longer the guy they knew, they're terrified. They knew this possessed man. They probably knew his name. They had heard his cries when he would be walking around in the tombs and up in the mountains. It may very well be that at times they tried to tend his cuts. These might have been some of the very same people who put the chains on him, trying to protect him from himself. They knew who this guy was. And now they're looking at him completely transformed. And rather, rather than being able to see it as a glorious miracle and rejoicing with him, they can only see it as something they don't understand, something they can't explain. It makes them uneasy. And rather than running to Jesus, they beg Jesus to leave. You don't want anything to do with him. I want to tell you, it's a lot of, a lot of great talk about walking. Okay, Matt, I hear it. I've got a calling. I've got a story. I've got to live on mission. I see it. Live, work, and play. Build the kingdom. But I want to tell you, as you do that, you're going, to impo- you're going to encounter people who knew the old you. And they're going, to extru- they're going to struggle to accept the transformed you. Right? You guys heard me tell the story before about when Carrie and I first moved back to Longview. I'm from East Texas, and when we moved back to Longview, we were trying to find a house to, to rent and uh, found one for rent there in, in Longview and we're meeting the lady who kind of manages the property and talking to her and telling her our names and kind of where we're from. She goes, gosh, that name's familiar. Matt Target, that name is so familiar. And I get nervous when people hear and they know my name and it sounds familiar. I get kind of anxious about it. I don't, I don't love it. I don't go, oh, yippee, you know me. I go, oh, what do you know, right? <laughs> How far back is this about to reach because it could be a problem. She goes home, tells her husband, um, hey, this guy's going to be renting this house. He and his family, his name's Matt Darby. He's a pastor at New Beginnings. And her husband, who I went to high school with, goes, no, he's not. <laughs> no. Nah. It's two different guys. You got it wrong, babe. It's two different guys. There's obviously another Matt Darby from Dangerfield, Texas, who graduated the same year. It can't be that dude, right? He, he struggled to accept. That, the trans, the trans, that, God, that Jesus had transformed my life. Believer, you have not been saved to sit in these seats and soak it up. If that was the point, then the instant we would come to faith, we would be gone from this place. Why are you here? You've been called to build the kingdom of God, and you have a calling and you have a story, and you live in a kingdom platform where he has set the expectation that you would go and tell your friends and your family and your neighbors and your co-workers and your region what Christ has done for you. I want you to see what happens a few chapters later. We're not going to read it. I'm going to tell you, but you can write it down and go back and read it a little later. I want you to see the kingdom impact this guy had. If you get to Mark chapter 7 and 8, what you find is Jesus goes back to this region. So less than two chapters later, Mark chapter 7, starting around verse 31 or 32, right in there somewhere. 
Jesus goes back to this region. Now some time has passed. This guy's been telling his story. He's been advancing the mission of God and his kingdom platform. And the response of the people to Jesus when he comes back is 180 degrees different than the first time he went. When the first time he went, what did they say? Please get in that boat and get gone. The second time, you pick it up in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, 32. This time when Jesus comes back, instead of asking him to leave, they start bringing their sick to him. They start coming out to meet him and to sit with him and to be where he is. He begins to teach them. By the thousands, they sit under his teaching. To the point you get to Mark chapter 8 and you see Jesus feeds 4,000. That's not the same as when he fed 5,000. This is 4,000 more. These are, these are thousands of people in this city, in this area of the Decapolis that have now listened to him teach for three days, Mark says, and they had nothing to eat, so he feeds them. Will somebody tell me what is different between the Mark chapter 5 region and the Mark chapter 7 region? I'll tell you. One man who knew his story, knew his calling, and built the kingdom of God. That's the difference. And when Jesus comes back, their arms are open to him. Same region. Only thing different was a man who was willing to tell his story. Some of you have a story. Some of you do not have a story this morning. And you are my greatest burden right now. I am burdened for you. Because Jesus can break the chains that are on you. Jesus can change everything about you. And no matter what your life has looked like up to this moment, hear me, Jesus came for you. He came for you. You are not too far gone. You're not. You are not too lost. You've not experienced too much pain. You've also not caused too much pain. You're not too addicted. You're not too broken. You're not too angry. You're not. Jesus came for you. And Jesus will change everything about you. And he'll break every chain. If you do not have a story this morning, we're going to stand. And when we do, I'm going to challenge you, call you, beg you. Be courageous. I know it's awkward because you sometimes you'll have to ask people to move. Give me 30 seconds of awkwardness in, in this room so that I get eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a story where Jesus has changed you? If not, the moment Zach starts singing, step out, come down. Some of you do have a story. You have a calling. And if you were honest, you would say this, I'm not walking in it. I'm just not. I'm not submitting to the calling and I'm not walking in it. So for some this morning, the altar is your place to come and acknowledge that. When was the last time you courageously told anybody about Jesus? For most of you in this room, you would say, I've actually never done that. 
And I know it's most because I sat for most of my believing life without doing it. I've never actually done that. Well, if you have a story, then you have a calling. And if you have a calling, you have a mission. And if we aren't walking that mission, we got to get to this altar and say, Lord God, forgive me for being disobedient and give me the Holy Spirit to empower me to walk out my calling and tell the story of what you've done in my life. Amen. Where does your story, your passion, and your abilities intersect? Last question I'm going to ask, and we're going to pray and we're going to respond. Who's your one? If you're a believer and you have a story and you've been transformed, who's your one? Who's the one person in your life right now that you are burdened for because they're lost and you would give anything to see them come to faith in Jesus? If you have one, pray for them. Even while I was asking, just sit down and pray. Pray for them. Come to the altar and pray for them. Whatever your response is today, to let Jesus begin writing your story, to surrender to the call, or to pray for your one, whatever it is, let's be obedient. Father, I love you. I thank you for these moments. I pray you would speak to your people. Help us respond with courage and with humility and with obedience in Jesus' name.